Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's Upswell marketing.com tell me about moxie yeah okay so moxie moxie is a very very cool uh device it's a small box the size of a kind of a toaster oven and it is actually kind of like a toaster because it gets quite hot but it's inside the nasa perseverance rover and just to be clear where is the nasa perseverance rover oh it's on mars yeah I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem, the show where I talk to people who are trying to make technological progress. My guest today is Forrest Mayan. He's the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Lunar Outpost. It's a company that builds machines that go places like Mars, and soon also to the moon. Forrest and his company are part of this space boom that is happening right now. We've seen it over the past decade or so with private rockets, cheaper space flights, and all kinds of new satellite applications. The bet that Forrest is making at Lunar Outpost is that soon this boom will go beyond Earth's orbit to the moon, and eventually beyond that. I talked with Forrest about the moon, about what private exploration of the moon will look like, and what problems Lunar Outpost is trying to solve to make that happen. But we started out by talking about Moxie, which Forrest started working on as a grad student at MIT, even before he started Lunar Outpost, and that is on Mars right now. So what does Moxie do? So briefly, what Moxie does is it breathes in carbon dioxide from the atmosphere of Mars, and it breathes out uh, oxygen, as well as a little bit of carbon monoxide. Like a plant, like what a tree does on Earth. It's basically a tree, except we can control <laughs> control how much oxygen it makes. And, uh, you know, it, it does have some less than desirable byproducts, but that is not an issue in the total atmosphere of Mars. And, I mean, I could guess why it would be useful to have a 
machine, a device that could turn carbon dioxide into oxygen on Mars. But tell me why is that useful? Sure. So I think most people, when they think about a device that can make oxygen on Mars, the first thing they think about is, oh, of course, people need to breathe on Mars. And that's certainly the case. Producing oxygen for human life support is important. The real reason why we want to produce it is actually to make oxygen for rocket propellant. Huh. When you have a rocket that, for example, a oxygen methane rocket, 78% of the mass of the propellant is just the oxidizer. It's the oxygen. It's something we don't notice on Earth when we're driving a combustion car because the oxygen's all the way around us and it's free, but that's a huge <laughs> amount of mass. And so by making that there, we can basically save billions of dollars of shipping 20 to 30 tons of oxygen needed to be on the surface of Mars just to get astronauts back up off the surface of Mars and back home. Uh-huh. So, so is the underlying idea, like the hardest part of going to Mars is coming back to Earth? That's 100% the case, yeah. And, you know, right now NASA is trying to do sample return, right? They want to bring a couple rocks back, and it's looking to be a very, very expensive endeavor. Uh, so when you imagine the idea of bringing people back that's really the key challenge. And we're talking billions of dollars of savings, maybe reducing, completely eliminating three to six launches of like the NASA space launch system just to get the materials over there. Because anything that you have on the surface of Mars, you have to burn fuel to get it into you know, Earth orbit. You have to burn fuel to get it to Mars. You have to burn fuel to get all the stuff that's needed to actually land it on the surface of Mars. Yeah. No, it's intuitive that it's hard to take a bunch <laughs> of rocket fuel to Mars. I feel like that to a layperson is straightforward. Um, and, and to be clear, Moxie is, is a, a sort of proof of concept, right? It's small. It's mm -hmm. not like industrial scale. But is the notion that you could build a really big one using the same principles if you needed to or when the time comes? Exactly. Yeah, that was the purpose of it. I mean... The Moxis comes from the idea of uh, in-situ resource utilization. And uh -huh. more simply, it's living off the land on other planetary bodies. And living off the land is kind of your big idea, right? I feel like that's the big idea of your company, as yeah. I understand it, of your work, is let's figure out how to live off the land on the moon, on Mars. Exactly. Yeah, that's the underlying theme everywhere. And and we're just laying down the the bricks to build the road to make that kind of part of a sustainable future in space. So tell me about when Moxie first got to Mars. You know, so you're working on this thing for years. Mm -hmm. It actually goes on a rocket ship. It goes to Mars. It lands on Mars. Is there some moment when you're like, whatever, somebody's at the computer that's like, okay, let's turn it on and see if it works? So, I mean, the first, the first exciting part was, you know, did it land, right? Like, obviously going to Mars, that's pretty scary, Lots of things can go wrong. So it landed great. And then we go into this initial phase where we're checking out the systems of the vehicle. So it goes through the list. Yeah. <laughs> and our our checkout was, you know, one item in that list. And Moxie is just like a little like toaster oven sized box inside the rover somewhere. Correct. Like whatever the belly of the rover or something. Just sitting. Yeah, there. yeah, basically just sitting in the belly of the rover. It has a little filter to the outside of the rover. And so the rover like turns on, it goes through its list. And then the satellites um, are orbiting uh, Mars. There's like five different satellites. 
And when one gets overhead, then it can send some data back. And so generally you send a command and you don't get information back on if it worked until the next day. So in the next wow. day, the real exciting moment is not, not when it actually happened, but when you actually downlink the data and you open up the file and you see what's there. And so that very first checkout, you know, we open up the file, we see what's there, we saw it turned on. That was kind of the... Okay, that's that's non-trivial? Yeah. It's on? Step one. Okay. So okay. Then, the, then the next checkout was basically to turn it on and run the pump, which was also kind of another incremental step. But then the very exciting moment, of course, as you can imagine, is kind of the third time we actually sent commands to the rover is when we we were going to heat up the the cells. So the chemistry happens at uh, 800 degrees Celsius. Very hot. So it's really yeah. hot. Yeah, very hot. Like I said, like a toaster. Like a really hot toaster, right? Very hot. Toaster. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so hot that normal metals and stuff, you got to use special metals so things don't, yeah. don't melt and yeah. degrade. So it heats up, the scroll pump starts pumping, the gas goes in, and then it's... Uh, this chemical reaction happens on these ceramic cells um, that allow the, and you apply a voltage across it. Okay. And then the voltage pulls, strips oxygen ions off of the cells and actually bounces it through this um, kind of ceramic material. And then it joins okay. up with another oxygen on the other side. And then you get the data of the current flow, which tells you how much oxygen was produced. So so is there a day, is there a day when you come in and turn on your computer and see if Moxie actually produced oxygen? Yeah. So we knew when downlink was going to happen. Everyone was on Zoom. This was in the middle of the pandemic. So everyone's remote. And we pull up the data. You know, this it took many years to happen. So one of the the students that was actually an intern under me that I kind of mentored on Moxie, uh, her name's Maya. She was the one kind of unzipping the data. And she pulls up the plots. We get the data. And then we see the little line that goes across of, you know, oxygen production. And then we knew we did it. And that was, it was a big moment. I think that was, uh, you know, like five and a half years, you know, five years into my experience being on the program. So it was, you know, <laughs> you've been waiting a long time for something. You think it's hard to wait for, you know, as a kid waiting for Christmas, like uh, <laughs> it, it, it was at least that exciting. <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope it's more exciting. Uh, it's like, it might not work, right? Lots of things go to Mars and don't work. Like that's not a, it's not a crazy outcome for a thing to not work. So Moxie worked. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, what does Moxie stand for? In the great tradition of aerospace, it's a acronym with an acronym in it. So Moxie stands for Mars Oxygen ISRU Experiment. ISRU stands for In-Situ Resource Utilization. I want it to be. I want it to be like seven acronyms deep. Uh, I want it to be an acronym with it. I want it to be a Russian doll of acronyms. I, I did notice when I was preparing for this interview, like all of the different missions and all of your different vehicles. They were like everything is an acronym. And the first time, you're like, oh, Moxie, that's clever. And then by the seventh acronym, you're like, I don't even want to know. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you built Moxie somewhere along the way between when you started working on it and when you found out that it worked, you started a company. So just stepping back then, what is your, your dream, really, for your work and for Lunar Outposts? Like, what's your big idea? Yeah, I think the, the big idea is to, and 
is to really utilize the moon as as Earth's next continent, right? Like you have the moon up there. It's not that far away and it's full of resources uh, that could be used for the electrification of um, vehicles on Earth that could be used to send us out deeper into space. And the, you, you know, the environmental cost of utilizing these resources on the moon is is almost non-existent, right? You can basically offshore a lot of these challenges that are done with development on Earth onto the moon in a much kind of much safer environment. And so that's that's kind of the broad vision, right? Is to really utilize the moon to benefit everyone here back on Earth. Clearly at this moment, it's very, 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 very expensive to get to the moon and back, right? Yeah. Like whatever, a million dollars a kilogram or something. Mm-hmm. Makes it hard for mining to make economic sense. I mean, is that the big barrier? It's just cost so much to get there and back? Yeah, I would say that and and you know there's certain types of like processing techniques um that you need to solve and then for us it's you know the reliable robotics and that's what we're focusing on uh we see a lot of the barriers coming down when elon musk is talking about you know starship we think that's going to make a huge step change in the amount of mass that can be brought to and from the moon and that's going to forever change humanity's relationship with the moon because it it will go from you know, millions of dollars per kilogram to get to the moon to hundreds of thousands overnight. And I think in a shorter period of time than that, you could be looking at $10,000 or less uh-huh. per kilogram. To so get. you're talking about like a hundred X improvement in efficiency, like yeah. thing, a thing that costs a dollar now will cost a penny. Yeah. In, what? Five years? 10 years? Yeah. I mean, it could come as soon as five years um, that I guess those yeah. initial Starship launches. And then within 10 years, it's going to be there. I mean, is that the underlying bet of your company? You're sort of riding on that on the back of that bet? It's coming down the pipe, and I think we're timing it right. In the near term, um, we've found ways to basically provide services here and now that are in high demand. Uh, which is basically just access to explore the lunar surface, to do interesting commercial uh, experiences, as well as help other nations kick off their space programs on the lunar surface. So let's talk about what you're working on now. I know you have a few different projects, a few different acronyms, uh, little little machines going, going to the moon soon, right? Like what's mm-hmm. the... What's the first one? What what do you have that's about to go to the moon? What is it and when's it going to go? Yeah, so our first one, we've been calling them Lunar Voyages. So Lunar Voyage 1 is is going to be our map rover. And this one okay. is going to go um, basically early 2024. So we're we're getting ready. We're just okay. figuring out when the, when the launch is going to be uh, with the rockets. I feel like in space terms, that's like five minutes from now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The vehicle is, you know, we're we're packing up the vehicle and getting it down to the lander provider. So this is, yeah, it's it's all the hard work's been done on this vehicle. What's unique about this this mission, a couple of things is we're kind of in a race to be the first commercial rover ever to the surface of the moon. Okay. India sent a rover, you know, Russia has course, the United States and China, but we would be a commercial company from Golden, Colorado, 
sending a commercial rover. And so to do that, we've partnered with different commercial companies. So we have Nokia that's testing uh, LTE technology on the moon. We have MIT and NASA Ames have some cool cameras they're sending and a little miniature rover that drives on top of our rover. We have a company that's put a private key for a Bitcoin treasure chest on the rover. So if you find our no. rover, you get a treasure chest. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that, uh, it's all it's all business, so what, right? Like, so, <laughs> yeah, you can put a giant billboard on the moon. So when I look at the moon, I see an ad for Bitcoin. Don't do it. Well, yeah, <laughs> the scale of that would be outrageous. <laughs> so. Yes, and uh, not just the scale. Uh, so, so I mean, you're making a point about being the first commercial rover. Like, why does that matter? What does it mean? I mean, is, are there legal implications? Is it just cool from a business standpoint? I think it matters because it it emphasizes the shift in Earth's relationship with the moon, where the Earth is just not for the big dogs in, you know, on the national stage, right? The big countries with massively funded programs. If a commercial company can get to the moon, that means the moon's for everyone, right? And uh-huh. we also kind of remove some of the gatekeepers um, of access to the moon, right? So a research group from MIT was able to raise funding with some of their supporters to put a some payloads on the moon, right? I mean, that's and without having to go through a big, long proposal process and all sorts of other things that just hoping to try to get your ex- experiment to the moon, which is kind of the, you know, the old way of doing it. So, but we're definitely like broadening the reach of who can go there and do interesting and exciting things and really, really form a stronger connection with, with the moon that, you know, we see every single night. In a minute, how Forest Rover is getting to the moon and what could go wrong once it gets there. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. Okay, 10 seconds. How many things can you name that are always growing? The universe, easy one. Um, my kids, so far. Uh, to-do lists. Uh, for this month, my sugar snap peas. I know that's not always. I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you one more. Businesses on Shopify. <coughs> Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. There are key moments in every endeavor. I ask pretty much everybody I interview on this show about their key moments, their breakthroughs, their failures, their turnarounds, and Shopify can be there for you at all of your key moments. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash problem. Go to shopify.com slash problem now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash problem. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? by using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle to everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Now, back to the show. How's your rover getting to the moon? It's being packaged into a lander built by Intuitive Machines. That lander is then going into a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. Okay. Um, And then that rocket is going to launch from uh, Kennedy Space Center, Florida. So even the rocket is private. Like the whole, the whole, it's sort of end to end a private mission as opposed to kind of piggybacking on a, on a government mission. Correct. Correct. Now the NASA has made some really smart choices that have enabled this to happen. And there is definitely NASA money involved in order to make the whole kind of help build the road to space. So NASA started a program called the Commercial Lunar Payload Services Program, where they're contracting lunar landers to send NASA payloads to the moon but they're allowing these landers to sell extra space to commercial uh-huh. interests in order to reduce NASA's costs, but also kind of open it up. And so we've taken advantage of it. So the Intuitive Machines lander that we're going on has a lot of NASA-funded payloads and a lot of NASA funding, and we're kind of on the rideshare side. So we're we're just hitching a ride on, on another vehicle. So, you know, I... I'm very pro-progress, pro-technology, pro-private enterprise. But there is some part of me, some 
some hippie-ish part of me that's like a little bit sad about mining the moon and, you know, Bitcoin on the moon. Like, I don't know. Can you talk me out of being sad about that side of it? Yeah, certainly. So I think there's enough moon for everyone. You know, the visible change will not exist. You know, you'll still see the moon. It'll still be there. We're not going to have any impact on the total mass of the moon or how the tides change or anything like that. This is uh, very minuscule in compared to the size of it. And the other thing is like we're, you know, taking philosophies like leave no trace and things like that to make sure that, you know, we don't leave a mess up there, right? We want to do this in a in a way where we're not polluting the environment in a way that it makes it difficult for other people to go to the moon and utilize it in the future. And I think that's another important uh, point to take home. Is there some kind of international law? Is there a treaty or something that governs behavior of individuals, firms, nations on the moon? Yeah, so there's um, there's a number of like agreements uh, in place. I think the most recent one that, that NASA is trying to bring nations into is kind of like the Artemis Accords, which kind of lays a groundwork for some, you know, rules on the surface of the moon. NASA's actually been I mean, trying to... C- countries can't even agree to rules on Earth, right? I, yeah. I, it, seems, it seems hard. It seems like a hard problem. I mean, I wouldn't imagine, for example, China, which has its own space program, w- wanting to sort of follow the United States lead. Yeah, and like and, how is it going? Yeah, and there um there are countries that are not, right? And there's not a really established universally accepted authority over the moon. So that is one of the most interesting things about this endeavor is how will that shake up? Because there may be even disagreements of countries if if our rover even has a right to drive across the moon, right? Yeah. But we're going to be there and we're going to drive across the moon and, you know, it's accepted by the country where we live in. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to be sorted out, but like any frontier, I think that little bit of kind of uncertainty creates opportunities for the the early movers to kind of help shape what that looks like. So you built this Rover that's going to go to the moon soon. It's called map. Mm -hmm. I guess we got to do the acronym. What's map stand for? Mobile Autonomous Prospecting Platform. Okay. Um, <laughs> what's it look like? What's MAP look like? Um, it's a four-wheeled rover. You know, you often see a lot with like six wheels. MAP has four wheels. How that, big is it? How big is it? Um, it's the size of, some people say like a, like a medium-sized dog. So okay. it's maybe like a, you know, two feet by two feet square definitely not huge so it has it has two cameras or, or eyes right on top of its front and then it has another camera that kind of looks like a little nose and now we've added the, the MIT camera payload below that so you could even say maybe that looks like a mouth but yeah, and it actually sees like a like a human as well so the the two cameras on the front uh, give it stereoscopic vision so it can kind of see in 3d as it drives across the surface so for this first mission, as I mentioned, one of our flagship customers is Nokia, and we're testing their antenna system. And so the rover has these big antennas in the in the back that will actually deploy on the surface. So there's a truss structure 
and then we'll fire some pins and they'll flip up in the air. And that's so that their antennas are nice and high off the ground so we can maximize the range of the rover. And the idea is to have a basically a wireless communications network on the moon. That's kind of what you're testing with that? Yep. Yeah. How do you drive it? How do you how do you tell the rover where to go? It's kind of like a like a turn-based strategy game. That's kind of like the speed of it. You know, we'll we'll send a command, we'll get some information back, we'll do that again. So uh, example would be like a, a waypoint command. So we'd say, you know, drive two meters forward, one meter to the left. And then the rover would drive, uh-huh. take a picture, send it back. We'll tell him if he did a good job or not. And then we'll repeat the process again. So so you built this thing. It's a big deal. It's going to go to the moon. It's hard to build a thing that can work on the moon, I'm sure. Um, what's what are you worried about? What might not work? Let's see. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, just like just like going to Mars. I think everyone's always nervous about landing and getting off safely. Uh, we saw that you know Russia had a lander that crashed this year. There was a Japanese startup that had a lander that crashed this year, and then you had the Indian lander that landed safely. So for this year, you know, two out of three um, didn't make it. So that's always a concern, even though I have lots and lots of confidence in our partners. They have developed an excellent system, with really high reliability. Uh, it always comes to the back of your mind. And then after that, I mean, we're going to turn on in transit. So we're already going to be on. So we're not going to have to worry about, oh, will it even turn on? And then the next thing is, you know, how, what does the surface look like at this area? Like, are we are we able to traverse it? Are we in like a big boulder field? Where are we going to land? I think that's the other uncertainty because no one has ever been to this part of the moon and the highest. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, yeah. This is, we're going to Shackleton connecting Ridge, which is uh, within a degree of the lunar South pole. So uh, for example, the next closest was 69 degrees South, which is what the Indian lander went. And so no one's been there. No one knows what it looks like. The best satellite images are like three to 10 meters per pixel, right? So you that's just one pixel oh, wow. covering a large so there area. There could be giant boulders. You, you, you could land and just be surrounded by giant boulders and you'd be screwed, right? Yeah. Boulders or, you know, who knows? Like quicksand aliens. <laughs> we think we have a really good idea of what to find there, but you never know, right? Aliens would be cool. I'd be sorry your rover didn't work, but it'd be a worthwhile trade-off. Um, okay. So these are all things that could go wrong. That wouldn't be your fault, mm-hmm. right? If the, the lander crashes, you didn't build the lander. If there's boulders everywhere, who knew there were boulders? What about if you land and it's nice and smooth and everybody else did their job? Now it's go time for map, go time for your rover. What are some of the things that might go wrong? Yeah. One of the ones that, that is very concerning is, is the dust. Uh, so basically, ah. the moon's been bombarded by micrometeoroids for, you know, like 4 billion years or something around that time. And so the surface has been ground up continuously by these things flying in from space, hitting the ground, turning into glass, shattering, and then getting pulverized over and over. But there's no weathering effects like wind or water that kind of round out these particles. So you're talking about very sharp particles like I don't know if asbestos is a good example, but it's it's nasty, nasty stuff that could grind on your gears and systems. And so we have to try to find ways to keep that off. 
there could be dust that's levitated that could get on the camera lenses and make it harder to see. Um, the other thing is you're on the moon, so there's a decent amount of radiation. Radiation could cause faults in electronic components. So we try to mitigate that by having, you know, backup electronic systems and failovers and things like that. But there's, you know, certain levels that you can't control, right? Let's say an ion just flies in from deep space and like, you know, blows a hole through a transistor. There's not much you can do. So then you have that, you have obviously that, you know, the sun is at a very low angle. There's very long shadows. And when you go into a shadow, you get extremely cold. So those are kind of the, the big environmental concerns. It's, a, it's not a comfortable place to, to be. So if you, if you step back from the day-to-day, from the rover that's about to go to the moon, and, and think about the future, you tell me what the right amount of time is. I don't know, five years, 10 years. Like, how do you think about the future on the moon? What's the moon going to be like in, say, 10 years? I think 10 years is going to be really exciting. Okay. I mean, in 10 years, what you're going to have is NASA astronauts are going to have returned to the moon, you know, within five years, less than that. And so we'll have people actively on the surface of the moon. Hopefully they'll be riding around in a, you know, lunar outpost, uh, moon buggy. So we've, we're waiting here back from NASA on, on a proposal. We've, we have a great team uh, with Lockheed Martin, MDA, GM, Goodyear to build this moon buggy for them. So hopefully they're driving around in these moon buggies. Hopefully they're, you know, you have the first human, uh, permanent human habitats uh, within 10 years. And hopefully there's some commercialization of those habitats. So That's, that, that one seems wildly ambitious, to, like given how long it's taken just to get people there. Do you really think there might be permanent human habitats on the moon in, in 10 years? I feel like yeah. in, in space, you know, I'll take the over. <laughs> I, I think that's currently there's there's architectures that are being pursued by multiple international space agencies, whether it's you know Russia, China, United States, that will put huh. human habitats on the moon within ten years. The fact that you say there's multiple countries makes me think it's more likely, right? Like in the same way, there was a space race in the. 60s, basically, for like not entirely happy reasons, right? Uh, the U.S. was kind of goaded into doing things maybe more quickly than it would have done. Like that seems like a plausible mechanism, a kind of international competition uh, for yeah. slightly tense reasons. Like when you put it that way, it's like, OK, maybe things will go faster than they usually do. Yeah. I mean, there's always things that can happen, but I think that that there is going to be some competition. I think that that China is very motivated and they've been very successful uh, in in executing their lunar campaigns. And look, they've been to the moon like three times, and the United States has yet to return to the moon uh, since yeah. they first left in Apollo. So we're, the United States is not leading at this point on lunar surface exploration, so we have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, and we're putting a lot of resources to it, but I think that hopefully, you know, we realize that the competition's there and we rise to meet it because it's, it's happening. Other people are going, they're not, you know, not waiting for the United States anymore. We'll be back in a minute with the lightning round. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. 
Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer. So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. The automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. That's the end of the ads. Now we're going back to the show. Um, we're going to finish with the lightning round. Just a bunch All of right. questions, slightly more random than the rest of the interview. Cool. Um, do you want to go to space? Yes. Do you think you'll go to space? No. 
<laughs> Why not? I'm too busy making robots. <laughs> Rocket Man or Major Tom? Major Tom. Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, Star Trek. Favorite scene in The Martian? I don't know. I liked when he was growing the potatoes. Um, that was pretty cool. Also loved loved the potatoes. Uh, so it's like the most nerdy basic part, right? That was what mm-hmm. made me so happy about that book and movie. Uh, was not the like flying on the chair in space part, but kind of the opposite. Uh, the potatoes yeah. were the opposite of that. Lighting um, the gas, making it rain inside. Uh, that was cool. <laughs> What's the hardest thing about killing your own meat? If it's an animal that you grew, you know, sometimes you're a little sad, but you're kind of thankful for the time that you got to spend with it. Are you thinking of chickens? What Think about turkeys. I have turkeys. I absolutely oh, turkeys. love turkeys. They're fantastic animals. They're so nice. I mean, you don't have to eat them. You could just eat the chickens <laughs> if you're happier to kill the chickens. Yeah, chickens aren't that nice. So it's it's getting that time for the for the turkeys, but it also gives them a, a reason to be. So I mean, it's not their reason to be. It's your reason <laughs> for them to be. Exactly. Yep. Um, if everything goes well, what problem will you be trying to solve in five years or so? In five years, I think um, the big problem is going to be kind of processing of lunar regolith to sort it out into its kind of constituent components. Hopefully in five years, we've you got... Used, you used a word, regolith. Regolith, uh, yeah. That I don't know. What's that word? It's a, it's a fancy term for lunar dirt or lunar soil. Uh-huh. So. Uh-huh. So if things go well, you'll you'll be mining in some fashion the moon and trying to figure out how to actually make that work. Exactly. Uh, well, thanks for your time. It was a delight to talk to you. And good luck getting to the moon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Forrest Mayan is the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Lunar Outpost. Today's show was produced by Edith Russolo and edited by Karen Shikurji. You can email us at problem at pushkin.fm. I'm Jacob Goldstein. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry, and me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. 
because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.